For nearly a decade, she made her way across Flathead Lake as the largest and most opulent boat to sail its waters. With four bedrooms, a kitchen, and a cost of more than $200,000 in today's currency, the Kiyomi was a sight to behold in the late 1920s and into the 1930s. One fateful afternoon in May 1937, a fire sent her to the bottom of Summers Bay in less than an hour, where she still sits today, 86 years later. After decades of searches and speculation, the resting place of the Kiyomi was found beneath nearly 50 feet of water in Summers Bay by Jody Baker and Jay Barth of the Northwest Dive and Recovery Service in 2016. Today, the Flathead Maritime Archaeology Project is in a race to document and map the site before it is changed forever. As recorded in the Daily Interlake in March of 1928, the boat was built at the J.W. Swanson Boat Works east of town during that winter for Kalispell business partners John Sherman and Bert Salling, the owners of Kalispell's Buick dealership, Kalispell Motor Sales. Oddly enough, the boat was not purchased using profits from their car dealership. Sherman and Salling had profited from an unusual trade to Lee Kerr, a stock promoter, swapping an automobile for shares of stock in Kalispell Kevin Oil Fields. The dividends were well beyond all speculation, and the partnership invested their gains to build their new pleasure boat. The Kiyomi featured a large lounge, dining room, kitchen, four staterooms, and was the first houseboat on Flathead Lake. At 54 feet in length with an 18-foot beam, the Kiyomi is in some sources cited as the largest boat on Flathead Lake at the time. Launched into the Flathead River near the Still Bridge east of Kalispell before a crowd of more than a thousand onlookers in May of 1928, the top deck of the Kiyomi included an 18 by 40 foot general lounging space that would go on to host countless parties on the lake over the next nine years. With power furnished by twin 80 horsepower Buick Master 6 engines, the Enderlake reported that the boat was not intended as a fast boat but it was easily able to make 10 to 12 miles per hour, which it said was comparable to the speeds of the Klondike and other passenger craft on the lake at the time. What the newspaper described as a handsome and comfortable little ship would make its way into the inner lake's pages several times over the next decade, each time a report of some lavish party featuring a variety of guests from the Copper Kings of Anaconda to local lawyers and school teachers and more. The windy afternoon of Wednesday, May 12, 1937, was warmer than usual. At 63 degrees, it was 13 degrees above average when Sherman and Soling decided to take the newly refurbished Kiyomi out for its first cruise of the season. It had been an interesting week, news-wise. Just six days earlier, the German passenger airship Hindenburg had caught fire while attempting to dock at Lakehurst Naval Air Station in New Jersey, killing 36 people. Earlier on the day of May 12th, the coronation of King George VI had been held at Westminster Abbey in London. For Sherman and Selling, the afternoon was to include a routine shakedown cruise of their houseboat to kick off the season, but that plan would soon turn to disaster. According to a Daily Interlake article the following day, it was shortly after 5 p.m. when Sherman first noticed smoke coming up from beneath the floor in several places and called out to Selling, the only other person on the boat. 
When the pair opened the engine room, they found a fire so hot that they instantly knew that any hopes of saving their boat were futile. Within three minutes of opening that door, the entire boat was ablaze. The men made their escape with the use of a small lifeboat and could only watch as the Kiomi burned to the waterline in 20 minutes. The Summers Lumber Company tugboat Paul Bunyan rescued the two men from their lifeboat and towed the burning Kiomi away from the docks and into the bay, where she sank less than 30 minutes later. Luckily, the boat's 300-gallon main gas tank failed to explode before the ship sank, but three smaller emergency tanks did erupt, sending flames out more than 100 feet from the burning ship. In another stroke of luck, the blaze happened with just two men aboard. The event would have been much more disastrous a week later, when Sherman's daughter Betty was scheduled to take a group of her college sorority sisters on an outing aboard the boat. Today, several artifacts have been recovered from the Kiomi's wreck and now reside in the Northwest Montana History Museum in Kalispell. From the ship's anchor, which is on display, to numerous recently cataloged smaller artifacts currently in storage, the history of the Kiomi is being recorded as items from the wreck, such as the boat's propeller, have already gone missing. With multiple dives on the Kiomi already this season, the Flathead Maritime Archaeology Project is working hard to preserve the boat's history while it still can. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Maritime Mysteries of the Flathead, where we team up with the Flathead Maritime Archaeology Project to take a look at the mysteries lying beneath the lakes and rivers of northwest Montana. I am once again joined by project leader Kyron Zimmerman, and as you could probably tell from our intro, this time we will be talking about the Kiomi, the luxury houseboat that roamed Flathead Lake during the Great Depression era and sank to the bottom of Summers Bay in a fiery disaster in May of 1937. How you doing, Kai? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing awesome. So tell me, uh, you've been involved with the Kiomi for quite a while now. How did that happen? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this? Absolutely. Um, so the first time I dove on the Kiomi was with another archaeological project um, back in 2016. Um, I'd come from, I just got back from New Zealand doing a bunch of underwater film work there. And I was contacted by um, a fellow by the name of Jody Backer. Um, they were working on a film project. They were trying to put together like a, a little document, not really a documentary series, but um, like an underwater salvage, kind of like the um, the beginnings of this project that we're working on today. Okay. Um, diving around Flathead Lake, diving around the Flathead River system and uh, putting together like a little a little show about underwater salvage. So, um, you know, they, they'd done some survey work, they located a couple of sites, but they needed a cameraman to really complete this project. So I was one of the first in the running for that. <laughs> and um, one of the episodes that we had started um, was diving on the Kiomi, and I was the lead cameraman for that project. Awesome. So you guys were the first people to see this wreck after it went down. What was that like? That was a phenomenal experience. Um, so when I, up until that point, you know, I'd been doing a lot of, a lot of bio, biological or a lot of environmental documentation, um, you know, filming fisheries and filming how humans have that interaction with, with marine ecosystems. But this was one of the first 
documentary projects that I'd done where it was really history focused. And, uh, you know, ever since then, diving on, uh, diving on history, you really sense, there's like a sense of gravity around these sites, you know, and that gravity really doesn't let you go too easily. So, um, the day that I first dove on the Kiyomi, uh, it was, I was, I think it was around maybe it was later in the season. I think it was like September or October. Um, so there wasn't a lot of boat traffic. The water was quite clear. And, uh, I remember getting out on the boat over the site and, uh, Jody was like, all right, Kai, we want you to go down and film it first. So we can get like an un, an uncluttered shot, you know, before the other divers had come down. So they weren't kicking up silt or anything. And uh, they're like, just just follow the line down. They had they had a line affixed nearby the site. So I hooked onto the line and just dropped down. And I'm, I had my camera ready and I'm looking at my depth gauge, you know, 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet. And then right around like 52, 56 feet. Um, you just see this shadow kind of emerge out of the darkness. And we were right at the bow or right at the front of the Kiyomi. And seeing how the boat was tipped upside down, you know, the anchor was there, the front of the bow was there, and it just kind of opened up in front of me. And it was just, it was one of those moments that you're just never going to (laughs) forget. You know, it really solidified my 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 passion, my interest, it just sparked this wonder inside of me that this piece of history is right here. And I'm one of the first people to see it since it sank in 1937. And that just really cemented my passion for underwater film, um, at least in this historical context. Uh, so I swam nice and slow around that, uh, around the boat, just filming and taking pictures and Every stroke I made with my fins, it just like more of it opened out. You got to see the starboard side where the the fire had burned away the decking. Um, It's panning all the way down to where the propeller was and the rudder and uh, the railing and some of the debris field on the the stern of the boat. Um, Making a full circuit around it was just, it, it just captured me as much as I was capturing that wreck. So what kind of condition is that wreck in? So at that point, I mean, obviously the boat had burned, you know, so the amount of structure that remained was very well preserved. Um, Flat of the Lake does a good job not deteriorating wrecks very well. Mm -hmm. Um, Any metal structures, obviously there's going to be rust. Um, Rust will grow, kind of form, and then, uh, you know, currents or, you know, coming in contact with the wreck or altering it too much, that rust can deteriorate and then exposing the layer of metal underneath for new rust development. Um, so that's a little bit of a factor that we got to be mindful of when we're on the wreck is not to alter it, not to come in contact with it as much as possible. Um, now what really is interesting is that the, it's upside down, right? right? So you can see the bottom of the hole where it hadn't been burned. Um, that's in miraculous condition, uh, penetrating into the wreck, you know, wondering what's underneath there. We haven't really been able to access that very effectively, Um, earlier this season, I did put my ROV in there. Mm. Um, however, that ROV is quite large, so we can't penetrate into the wreck very far at all with that particular one. My smaller yellow ROV is much more, uh, it's well better designed for filming work. You know, you can get much better angles of imaging and, uh, it's much smaller so we can penetrate deeper into the wreck without altering it so much or disturbing it so much. 
So with the blue ROV, we were able to get in there and take our first look inside of the wreck um, to really get an idea mm-hmm. of what how what it is, like what condition is it in, what can still be left or what can still be seen uh, associated with that site. Um, but right now it is in miraculous condition, and it's pretty amazing to be able to document it in this state. So what kind of <laughs> objects are you finding? Well, the Kiyomi, as we've seen earlier, it, it was a, a pleasure yacht. You know, it was a houseboat, so it had a lot of modern conveniences of the time. You know, silverware, uh, indoor plates, plumbing, indoor plumbing. Now that was something. You know, did it hit hot water? Did it have hot it water hot it? and cold water? <laughs> that was pretty cool, right? Um, so you know, a lot of things that we would associate with um, with a houseboat. Yeah, it had it. You know, it had living accommodations. Um, silverware, plates, uh, ceramic, uh, uh, sinks and all that. Um, but yeah, you know, just, just being able to have that stuff on a boat at the time was pretty significant for the 1930s. That's awesome. And you, you knew the daughter of the person who owned the boat? Yeah, Dorothy. So part of that, uh, production that we were working on back in 2016 uh, we had the opportunity to interview Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Um, Dorothy was 11 years old at the time of that boat sinking. Dorothy McGlenn, correct? Dorothy McGlenn, that's right. And she had um, an amazing account of living memory associated with that boat and uh, her family's history with the Kiyomi. And being able to document that interview as well, again, was just it really made that whole story come full circle Mm -hmm. from her experiences with the boat actually being on that ship at the time, uh, documenting how her father came back after the event that we filmed in the interview. Um, He was covered in soot and he just came in the house and and he was just very, very distraught. And she just said, one of the first things that he said with that he came in was the Kiyomi was gone and just the weight of that statement you know, kind of she carried with her for the rest of her life. So being able to document the Kiyomi and show her the footage back in 2016 uh, just really opened up so many memories for her. Well, this was their summer home for nearly a decade. Like yeah. Their house burning down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a pretty significant event for her. And uh, listening to her retell those events um, was really impactful for me, too. You've been down there. When you first found it, you were one of the first people on the, on the scene, and mm. now you've been back several years later. How has it changed over those years? I would say the biggest thing that we've noticed is uh, some of the material has, or some of the structural, uh, some of the structure of the Kiyomi has been removed. Uh, my first diving on it, the propeller was there. Um, since diving on it, the propeller has been removed. Um, we really don't know where that is today. Um, it's still in good condition. I would say hasn't, hasn't been a lot of a uh, deterioration, hasn't been a lot of impact from other divers on that site. Um, but we haven't been able to really document the entirety of that site. So that's what we're aiming to do with this 2023 survey is to redive on it, collect a full 360 degree photogrammic model. So we'll have a 3d replica of that site. Um, We're going to extend our survey to include some of the debris field that wasn't documented back in 2016. Um, So as the uh, Kiyomi caught fire, there were explosions associated with the gas tanks igniting. 
um, how much of that material was actually broadcasted farther away from the existing Kiyomi site that might not be documented. Um, We also have the capabilities with our smaller ROV to document what's inside Mm -hmm. the wreck that really hasn't been done even in that 2016 survey. So getting our smaller ROV in there, documenting what material could be inside Mm -hmm. the hole or inside or underneath the boat and really capturing that and preserving that. And she obviously flipped upside down Mm as she was going down. So, uh, I mean, I've been out there with you, and there's that debris trail of just the railing falling off. Mm -hmm. So is that going to be part of the survey as well? Oh, absolutely. Yep. With with our sophisticated side scan sonar, we can capture um, in much higher detail uh, the, the extent of the debris field around the wreck. So we can capture that railing. We can capture some of the fuel tanks that we documented um, and we can scan a bigger area around where the Kiyomi sits now to really capture that whole site and everything associated with it. So you pulled up some artifacts uh, that are over at the Northwest History Museum. Correct. What was that like pulling up things off the bottom for the first time in <laughs> 85 years? Uh, it was uh, it was harrowing, you know. Uh, whenever you pull something, now we did have permission from Dorothy to extract um, extract our artifacts for her identification. Um, one of the big things that whenever we do dive on a wreck is what is it? You know, how do we find out? Is this the wreck that we're looking for? Could this have been a totally different boat? You know, aside from collecting measurements, okay, we know that the Kiyomi was 54 feet long. Is that correct? That's yep. close. Yes. Yep. 52, 54 feet long. In the podcast, we know our dimensions. Um, so we know the dimensions of a wreck. We can compare that to um, other documents. Um, but having the opportunity to interview Dorothy directly um, was a miraculous, a very fortress uh, opportunity because we were able to pull up uh, handles for cupboard doors, right? Mm-hmm. And she remembered stories associated with those cupboard handles. She, she was like remembered opening them up and, and playing with them as a, ch- as a child. Um, another significant thing was the ice tongs. They're like these big, big hooks, you know, that you use to grab onto ice and transfer them to an ice box. And when we presented that to her, she remembered those ice tongs and had personal stories and personal memories associated with that tool. Um, you know, she she loved it when the ice wagon came and she'd be able to see the ice workers like pull up the oh, ice, put them amazing. in the ice box and they'd lay it with food and pies and you know, fruits and things. And she's just like, it was so exciting because when the Iceman came, you know, she knew that they were going to go out on the lake. And she just remembered seeing that those ice tongs were just so cool. Um, We pulled up chunks of ceramic and she was able to identify that was the piece of the sink that was in the kitchen or in the lavatory. I was wondering about that. Yes. So she was able to identify those pieces of ceramic that were large enough for her to identify as the sink. And She'd play in the water and all that. So Now, she was two when this boat was built and 10 when it went down. It's amazing right. that she could remember all that. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, it was a pretty impactful event, you know. So, yeah, she had a lot of experiences on that boat, and it was amazing to be able to, to hear those stories um, as she was able to tell them. That's awesome. So what happens next? Well, I mean, right now we're planning on going back and doing a much more comprehensive survey of the Kiyomi. Um, again, redocumenting it with our higher resolution cameras, going in and doing that full photogrammetry model, 
and uh, preparing the ROV to actually penetrate inside of the wreck to do an interior documentation of that site. Um, so our next, what we're going to be doing next is, uh, yeah, planning and uh, getting that survey underway. All right, Kai, why don't you take us through some of this footage that you've got down there on the Kiomi? Oh, man. So the Kiomi, again, there, there's so much There's so much to it. You know, there's a lot of personal uh, feelings tied up with this boat being the first, you know, ship, the first boat that I documented um, that really, it really cemented this magic, (laughs) you know, this, this, this gravity, this weight, this, 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 this treasure of diving on these sites. So here we can see the propeller or the the stern of the boat, the back of the boat, the, the rudder, he's here. The lack of propeller is what I was trying to say. Um, it just documents that, yeah, you know, these sites are subject to, you know, human modification throughout time. You know, as soon as we first dove on this, the propeller was intact. Um, now you can see that it's missing. You know, that documents that these sites are subject to deterioration, you know, cultural loss. So being able to document these sites in their entirety you know, it does have a lot of significance and it does have a lot of importance to do that. Um, this is the back structure. Dorothy was telling us that this little platform here, she would jump off and swim in uh, off the back of the boat. I think we saw that in some of the intro video. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here you can see a significant amount of damage on the back of the stern. Um, likely that's where that fire was probably at its hottest, right back here where the motors were. And this... Oop, we just saw a little bit of it in the bottom right corner or the bottom left corner there was possibly one of the fuel tanks. So here we're, we're navigating along the top of the key, or I guess it would be the bottom of the Kiomi, um, heading towards the bow or the front of the boat. Looks like it's in pretty good shape. It really is. Yeah, flathead, just the environmental conditions for Flathead Lake right now are ideal for preserving uh, wooden material. You know, uh, they're, they're low oxygen content, cool water, not direct exposure to sunlight. Um, it's perfect for preserving these wrecks. Now, in the event of, uh, let's just say, muscle introduction, you know, zebra mussels or quagga mussels get introduced, all of this structure is going to be completely encrusted with a thick layer of those mussels and we wouldn't be able to see um, see this boat as it is. So that's why it's important to document it now. Ah, there's so many reasons why it's important to document it now. <laughs> the mussels are just one of the biggest threats that could pose a, uh, a threat to this site. Um, you know, also just the ability to interview people who have living memories of these wrecks are, you know, we're losing them on a daily basis potentially. Um, you know, right. I keep referring back to interviewing Dorothy who had such an amazing history and being able to talk to her and being able to see her eyes light up and tell these stories associated with this boat. You know, she, she passed two years ago and um, you know, if we hadn't taken the time to, to, to find her and interview her and and share her story um, you know, we, we'd never know, you know, that's another reason why this, this work is so valuable because yeah, they're, they're, the boat's there, you know, being able to document it and tell that story to it. But, you know, being able to have that connection with that wreck will never have it again. <laughs> so, 
you know, and being able to tell, you know, our story, you know, our story as a community, our story as, you know, living on this lake, we're all connected to it and losing that story. You know, we're, we're losing some of our culture. We're losing some of ourselves in it. So here what we're doing is we're taking the ROV and we're just doing a rudimentary scan along the starboard side or Yep, it would have been the historic port side, but it's under up, up, upside down. It would be the port side of that. So we can just kind of pan along the side. The Kiyomi was, was a pleasure yacht. It was made to transport, have big old pot parties on. Is that a gas tank? Likely, yep. Now, there was two main tanks and then a couple of uh, auxiliary tanks or emergency fuel tanks. One large 300-gallon tank, and then they had three emergency tanks. I don't think that one on the starboard side was the large 300 tank. Here you can see it a little bit. Let's see if we can't get a better shot of it here. I think you were piloting the ROV at that time, right? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> kicking around yeah I think oh, that clip's here. almost over all right so yeah i think on this particular video survey we weren't uh the main objective was just to document like it wasn't for full documentation purposes it was mostly just to show you guys the wreck um because yeah you were on the surface boat and uh you know we didn't have you geared up and scuba ready so we used the rov to just show you what it looked like Oh, this is good. This is actually a really nice shot. Yeah. This must have been 2022. This was yeah. another trip I made out to it. So I have made several other dives on the Kiyomi since that 2016 survey. So this is the first time we were able to get accurate GPS documentation or records of this site. Here you can see the railing extending beyond the stern of the boat. Major entanglement hazard if you're running an ROV. Looks like there's a large tank. Likely one of those fuel tanks. So what part of the boat are we looking at? Here? So this is the stern or the back of the boat. Okay. Um, since it's upside down, it would be the port side. But here you can see it's the right side since it's upside down. And there you can see a little bit of the keel with the tether obscuring the view a little bit. Now we're navigating towards the front of the boat or the bow 39 meters so just under 60 feet so this was taken 2022 it must have been kind of a fuller pool flooded lake was a little bit deeper so all of these depth measurements are you know they vary depending on the depth or the volume of the lake so one year it's 54 feet, another year it might be 62 feet, about 10 feet difference. So what are we looking at here? This is the front of the boat. So here, uh, the, the front port side or the left side of the boat, this is where they had the most fire damage. So this represents our main access point to get inside the wreck. Here you can see the fire burned a significant amount of that. Here we're actually getting inside a little bit. Welcome to your first view inside this boat since 1934, 37, since it sank. <laughs> wow, look at that. So the, the blue ROV is a little heavy. It's a little negatively buoyant, so it tends to sink. Um, it makes it really good for recovery operations, but 
not the best for video documentation. Um, because it settles down, we can get really stable view from static shots. But if we try to navigate deeper into the wreck, um, the thrusters are going to churn up a lot of sediment. So um, I intentionally didn't want to go too far into the wreck using this equipment. Um, having scuba divers go in uh, poses a really high risk because you'll see that there's a lot of pipes. There's a lot of stray pieces of timber um, creating a really high entanglement risk. Um, you also just see the fine sediment that does get turned up. Uh, you'll lose visibility extremely quickly. So it's likely it's it's going to be a very high risk to send in man like divers into this site to document it um, because it's really small, really hard to navigate around in there. Um, ROV is going to be the best tool to use to document this site. When you're swimming around the outside of this wreck, how much sunlight penetrates down that far? So, I mean, you can see, you know, at about 60 feet, you know, you still have, you still have light, um, but it's far less intense than if it was like six or eight feet deep, <laughs> you know. Um, the first thing you'll notice is that there's not a lot of vegetation growing around it. Um, uh, the steamboat Willis, for example, is at about six to eight feet deep. So there's a lot of vegetation growing around it. Every year you'll have new growth of weeds that'll grow around the site and then lay down as the weeds die back and it'll build up layers of vegetation and decay around it. Um, whereas the Kiomi, it's deep enough where you don't have a lot of vegetation growing around it and uh, it, it's preserving that site a lot better. Yeah, here you can see the inside. You can see the decking kind of coming up, some of this main structure on the keel. Wow. Isn't it just amazing? Exactly. And there you can see a piece of piping or possibly some, yeah, most likely a pipe. All of that would pose an extremely high risk for divers. Um, you know, getting our uh, regulator hoses caught up on that, you know, not being able to turn around to get out in the event of an emergency. Um, yeah. Wreck penetration or wreck diving, you know, requires a lot of specialized training. Oop, now we're coming around here. You can see a real world example of what it would look like if you were panicking <laughs> in a wreck, <laughs> not being able to see or getting out very easily. Um, so whenever you're diving, you know, overhead environments like the Kiomi would definitely serve as an overhead environment. You don't have a direct access to the surface. So if we were in the wreck and say we ran out of air, say we had a, a equipment malfunction, um, say that there was a, an injury that we needed to evacuate that wreck quickly, um, that environment would not allow us to do so. So we have to take very special precautions, not only for preserving the integrity of the wreck, you know, uh, a stray fin kick could disrupt a piece of parchment that might have <laughs> some important documentation on it, you know. Um, you know, we might damage some fragile glassware or something, you know, um, that we would really want to preserve. Um, and the main objective for, for my work is is not recovery. You know, my goal isn't to take pieces away from this site. Uh, my objective is to document the site with the most sophisticated technology that I have available. 
So, you know, my goal is to, you know, use photogrammetry modeling, you know, to document and preserve this site to the best of our abilities. Um, you know, we, we, do, we are reaching out to, you know, leading maritime archaeology experts with, with Woods Hole Institute. We have a, a very good contact that we've made um, with them. And they're going to be providing some counsel how to, you know, do proper rec preserve or do more advanced, more sophisticated rec preservation uh, techniques. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the best that we have with the resources that we have. So if we wanted to, you know, really see this project move forward, you know, we need better equipment. You know, this is a kit ROV that I built myself. Well, you know, I mean, that, that really does add to the reality of this situation. You know, these projects cost a lot. You know, ROVs are expensive. You know, underwater camera equipment is expensive. And, um, you know, yeah, we're getting financial support and every little bit of financial support is helpful. But uh, the more the more we can fund, the more we can do to uh, a higher level of quality. As a coming at this from an underwater photographer perspective, you know I have experience taking pictures. I have experience documenting these sites in a compelling and informative way. Um, but when it comes to artifact preservation, you know if we were to remove a piece of equipment, there is so much involved with you know, uh, preserving that artifact where it can be, you know, viewed by the public. Um, you know, these sites have been submerged for, you know, 100 years, 80 years, you know, in some cases even longer. You know, to bring that up to the surface requires an extreme amount of, you know, uh, precise preservation skills and techniques. You know, um, you can't just pull out a piece of lumber and expect it to sit on a museum shelf. Uh, they need to be properly dried. They need to be properly cataloged and preserved. Um, so my approach is documenting them where they are presently, which is significantly easier. <laughs> it's like you're diving down, you're documenting it. Um, but, you know, having the right lighting, the right, having the right equipment to do that to the best of our abilities is definitely, um, it's, it's a skill takes a lot of a lot of time and a lot of experience and a lot of uh, knowledge of a site to document it to the best we can um, you know the external survey area around the Kiyomi you know yeah I've dove on it like maybe about 20 maybe just shy of 20 times now you know I know the wreck I know the extent of the debris field and I know what we can document you know with with, with diving being able to penetrate inside of the wreck, that's a whole other goose egg right there. You know, that first dive that we saw here on the ROV, looking at the interior, seeing how much debris is scattered underneath the deck. You know, in some of these frames we'll be able to look at, we can see, you know, pieces of metal, maybe pieces of, of pottery, maybe pieces of, of, of dining ware um, that's covered underneath that sediment. Uh, it's still a mystery to me. <laughs> it's still a mystery. There's still loads of mysteries to solve here. Um, you know, what else can we find? What else is still preserved after that fire? Solving the mysteries. That's the whole point of this project. You know, I think, I think that's what really makes this, uh, there's still stories to be told, you know, in all of these sites, there's still, there's still something that's, that's calling out to be discovered. 
So, you know, again, that just really uh, shows that these types of projects require so much support and uh, every amount of support is, is valued. Um, the Northwest Montana History Museum, you know, they were a leading part um, of our 2016 survey. And it sounds like they're continuing to be amazing support here in this 2023 survey. Absolutely. Uh, getting access to the to the artifacts last week was amazing. Going through the archives and finding that footage, that video, home video footage from Dorothy from wow. 1928. It's absolutely amazing. Mm, I don't even think I've seen pieces of that. Like some of it looked familiar, but there was a lot of video documentation that, you know, I'd still seen for the first time. So, you know, thank you to um, Northwest Montana, Montana History Museum for, for providing that and preserving that. Absolutely. This episode would not be what it was without their help. <laughs> and our next episode. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> you know, um, another special thanks to the uh, Underwater Soldiers, um, the dive shop here in uh, Flathead, Flathead, Montana. Um, you know, we did a couple of other dive surveys and we definitely used um, you know, some of the divers to help document another site out in Woods Bay. Um, they were help collecting some measurements and documenting on a steamboat that we have located, but yet to identify. Large steamboat. It was a big one. Yeah, I think it's it's comparable, if not a little bit larger than the Kiomi. So about 50, uh, maybe 55, 56 feet long. Um, that particular site, the stern or the back end of the boat is covered in an underwater landslide. So what would that be called? That'd just be a sediment slide? I guess so. <laughs> it's covered. So we weren't able to measure um, a, possibly, you know, another several feet that's been buried underneath that rock and debris. So, you know, we were able to document what we can, but they're still yet to determine. So, again, there's lots of things to discover yeah. yet. Yes, another mystery for us to unravel here on the Maritime Mysteries of the Flathead <laughs> So go ahead and uh, join us next time as we dive into more of those mysteries. And uh, thanks for being here, Kai. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. I'm All really right. excited to share what we can find. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. All right. Take it easy. <laughs>